Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, psychology student, wife, and mama four. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, today I'm here with Judy. Judy Turkheimer, I got it, Turkheimer, is an inspirational life coach, a teacher, and a writer. She recently published a book, Finding Myself in a Nightmare, a mother's healing journey through her daughter's addiction. Having experienced plenty of trauma in her adult life, including a difficult divorce, financial struggles, and her daughter's addiction, She consistently turns to her inner life coach to help her learn and heal, ultimately wanting to share her learning to help others heal. Judy has three adult children, two of whom live with her, along with three cats and two dogs. I have two cats. (laughs) And as an artist, her creativity gives her the space to clear her mind and step deeply into her soul. She finds similar meditative outlets, finds She finds a similar meditative outlet in yoga and in nature. Judy has a bachelor's degree in business administration, a master's degree in teaching, and she is a graduate of Coach University. Well, Judy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me here. Uh, So you mentioned in your bio a little bit, you went through a very difficult time. Um, I myself, uh, was in a relationship with somebody who was an addict to both drugs and alcohol. And, um, we ended up, he's my middle daughter's father. Uh, we ended up splitting up because um, the, the, um, how he acted out, like, you know, he, he, he had trauma and how he dealt with that trauma was to drink and do drugs. And it made him into a, not a very nice person, but on the positive aspect, just so everybody knows he is now sober and has been for eight, eight years, I want to say, and he's remarried and is doing quite well. So just an update on that. Uh, So a little positive. So Judy, take us back to the beginning. When did you notice something was going on with your daughter? So first, let me say yay for your ex. Um, I'm, I'm always happy to hear happy stories. And there are a lot of them. They aren't very well publicized, sadly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yay him. And actually, just as a, a tandem to that, um, my daughter and I celebrated her eight years on Halloween. That's awesome. So we're kind of in the same, in the same frame. Yeah. Um, so if I go back to noticing, that's kind of an interesting question because... I noticed, but I refused to notice. Um, Anybody who's been through something like this probably can relate to that. I know that there are always people who are different, but um, I didn't want to notice. My my other two kids were saying, mom, something's going on. Mom, you got to look at this. Mom, she's doing drugs. And um, and I, in, in the book, I say often, I went to bed. I pulled the literally and figuratively, I pulled up the, um, the blankets over my head and I just didn't want to see what was in front of me. And part of that um, for me is that I did not grow up in an environment where I saw drug use. I did mm-hmm. not have friends or family who 
Well, that's not entirely true. I had a, a first cousin, um, but I wasn't, I wasn't geographically near him. They, they always lived in another state. So, gotcha. um, so I wasn't around the issue and had virtually zero understanding of what I was looking at. Um, so it took me with the, with my other kids and others telling me, wake, wake up. And I was going to use an expletive there. <laughs> oh, you can, it, you can um, absolutely. This is a F-bomb, uh, okay. rated podcast. <laughs> there you go. Wake the fuck up. Um, people were getting my kids and my two other kids in particular, getting really frustrated with me. And it took, I would say about six months after what I call the whispers started. Um, and then I, I, I realized that something was terribly wrong and there were, um, there were good reasons for me to notice my money was disappearing. My jewelry was disappearing. My kids, my kids belonging, my other two kids belongings were disappearing. Um, and so there was something more, there, there was something, um, physically compelling, not just emotionally compelling. So that's when I started to kind of become aware, um, in a, in a, in a, I can act on this way. So, um, that after the awakening and moving into action took probably another two or so months before I could actually confront it and say, okay, we need to talk, we need to do. And still Megan, I got to tell you, even at that point, I didn't want to talk to people. I didn't want to look at books. Well, I did want to look at books actually, which is part of why I wrote my own. I, um, there weren't any at that yeah. time. Um, I, because I'm a, I'm a, I'm not a social, um, processor when it comes to that, to, to deep emotion. One-on-one -on -one yeah. is fine for me, but I don't go to groups comfortably. I'm the same way. Mm -hmm. So you get it then. And, um, and so I did, I did look for books. There were none. I, I eventually went on the internet. There's lots of stuff on the internet. Parsing through it is really hard. And like we said, the statistics for good outcomes aren't out there. You only yeah. read the horrible outcomes. And certainly there are many, way too many. Um, but so, so that, that was a process in and of itself. Um, just the kind of familiarizing myself on a, on a baby level, not even on a, on a big level, familiarizing myself with what I was looking at. Yeah. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Keep I, going. But um, before you do, I had a question. Um, have you discussed with her what, not so much why it started, how it started? Do you, do you know that? Could you share that with us or is that a private thing? Um, I can and can't. So it involves okay. her father. And I know that's something that you are very familiar with because I listened to your podcast with your daughter. Yeah. Um, that was the first one that I listened to. And, and by the way, podcasts are brand new for me. I'm, I'm going to be 60 in a couple months and this is like a whole new thing. So it's yeah. kind, of, kind of fun. Um, all of the therapists that that were part of our lives at that point and onward um, told me it had to do with abandonment. Gotcha. And I can't say a lot more than that. Oh, um, completely understand. Yeah. But, but that that was um, that was coming from the professionals, and 
Things have ebbed and flowed over the years. Um, she lives with me now. So that's the okay. spoiler alert. She, she absolutely, well, I said it earlier, she's been clean yeah. eight years. Um, she, we don't talk about it a lot. It, it's a whole new life at this point. We don't talk yeah. about it a lot. And she might, um, I don't think she'd disagree, but she might add other things. Yeah. Yeah. It's just from your perspective, obviously her perspective would be a little more intimate, um, a little more detailed, um, because you just don't know, right? Like I said, my ex had been through trauma, uh, that led him to addiction and acting out the way he did. Um, I'm not excusing his behavior, but there was a reason behind it. And, uh, anybody who's listened to that episode would be like, don't excuse him. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just telling you, this is what the reality is. Uh, and so, you know, people often get into drugs and alcohol as a way of like coping with what they've been through. Um, because it's difficult. We don't, we don't all have the, the tools to do that. Um, and sometimes like that trauma is just so loud. It's hard to hard to even like wake yourself up enough to be like, Hey, there's a problem. Listen to me. Okay. Um, because I know I've been through my own trauma. Um, when I was younger, uh, like I, I, I leaned on alcohol to deal with it. Um, it never got to the level of full-blown addiction, but uh, there was definitely a, a, definitely a problem there. Like it could have led to that, um, at, at some point in time. Uh, so yeah, I, I understand like when you're going through something, sometimes it happens and I feel like there's far too much judgment on people who, who go down that path when we need empathy. For sure. And, um, one of the discoveries that I made as I journeyed through the, the process of her addiction, um, and my, and my healing. Mm -hmm. So those were kind of in, in tandem is, um, and, and I could be completely wrong, but my observations were that many of, of the folks who end up in drug and alcohol addiction, um, as opposed to some other addiction, right? I, mm -hmm. I'm a recovering anorexic. That was my addiction and, and ultimately allowed me to understand addiction through that. People were saying right. that I was, anorexia is not an addiction, <laughs> but I've, I've been able to understand it yeah. in, in, in the process. Um, these are some of the most sensitive loving, empathic, vulnerable folks in our society. And I am a very, sen I'm a highly sensitive person. I am an empath. Same, um, same. Right? <laughs> we really should have a relationship. <laughs> um, and, and so I understand the pain of living in that, in, in that body, right? Mm -hmm. That's that sensitive, empathic, um, feel everything that, you know, that the universe can possibly conjure. And so I feel like these folks, for whatever reason, are very often the ones that turn to drug and alcohol, drugs and alcohol. And Again, I, I haven't done studies. There's nothing that I'm saying from a, a statistical point of view. It's simply my experience, mm -hmm. but it helped me to understand a little bit. And it also helped me to release the judgments that I had. Right. Uh, again, I didn't grow up around this. So it was really easy for me when my cousin became a 30-year 
junkie, 30 years. Um, and he's great now, another success story. Yay. It was really easy for me to say, you know, how could he do this? And what a horrible thing to do to his family and what a dirt bag and, you know, on and on and on. He was removed from me. My daughter was not removed from me. I know who she is. I knew where she grew to, grew up. I knew what I, you know, the tools that I gave her as a mom, at least some of them, um, and also maybe some of the baggage. <laughs> and there's so, no perfect parenting. There's not. I don't care not. what anybody says. <laughs> and that I think is one of the healing pieces. Also, um, I, I start my book with with three goals. And the first one is, is validation that, mm-hmm. because there's so much shame. I don't know if you feel Stigma. shame as, yeah. as partner, but as the parent of an addict, I didn't, I, I didn't know what to do with the guilt. Mm-hmm. And it really didn't, it wasn't on my shoulders. The guilt wasn't on my shoulders. Um, so, so my first, my first goal with, with having written uh, finding myself in a nightmare was to say, Hey, you're, you're not a bad person. You're not a, you're not a monster. You're right. okay. You don't need to be ashamed. Um, this happens. And, and my, my belief um, and, and, and maybe this is the single most important thing to go with your, the name of your podcast inspired women um, my belief is that as we heal ourselves, that energy emanates out to mm-hmm. others. And in a, in a mother child situation, there is no closer bond, right? right? That, that person came out of us or was adopted by us and, and nurtured by us. I don't make a different, a, a distinction between those two, but right. there is no other, there is no stronger bond. And so as I healed, my belief was that she would feel it, even though we were 1500 miles apart at that point. I don't, I can't tell you that that's what worked. I can tell you that she did come through and I can tell you that I'm a better person having come through that and, and kind of um, healed my, my stuff as well. Not all of it. (laughs) So how long was she in active addiction? I'm going to say three years. I think that it probably started a little bit sooner than I, that I even know. Yeah. So it might've been three and a half, four years, but three years active. I think there's a a distinction, right? Between somebody utilizing drugs, using drugs and, and being addicted to drugs. Like in the, in the very beginning, from what I understand, it's just, I'm trying this out and I'm, I'm exploring this. And then eventually it is like this craving. And you have to have it. And if you don't have it, like the craving just gets louder. So I have bipolar disorder, um, which I think we talked about on my daughter's episode um, because she also has bipolar disorder. Uh, Thanks, (laughs) thanks genetics. Um, (laughs) And so um, in hypomania or mania, uh, bipolar individuals tend to be very impulsive. And how I, I, you know, addiction, I think is kind of similar to that that mania, uh, is you have this impulse to do something. And even if you try not to do it, it just gets louder and louder and louder until you actually like give into it. And I, I feel like addiction is similar because like, even if they're like, I need to stop that, like that need that yearning, 
like gets louder and louder and louder until they give in without like the proper support to be able to get sober. Yeah, I would agree. And I'm going to add to my sensitive, empathic prototype. I think a lot of people self-medicate. So I don't think she would be upset with me for saying that she is bipolar. And I I think that was part of it. You know, the, the, the depression was out of control. The mania Mm -hmm. was out of control. This was sort of a, either a neutralizing or an enhancing. I don't really know because I've, I've not experienced it. And and to be honest, we haven't discussed that aspect at all, but, um, and, and I, and I say that sort of with a deep breath and a, and a hope that she isn't bothered that I said it, but both of us come from a point of view that says, if by virtue of something that I have experienced, I can help others, I'm yeah. going to help others. And I've had people well before this, um, this addiction piece and, and, you know, putting my life out for the world to look at in, in a book. Um, I believed that. And I, and I would talk about having been anorexic and I had people periodically come over to me and say, Judy, why would you say that? Like, that's private. Why are you telling people? And I said, because you never know who's going to hear it and benefit from the fact that Mm -hmm. I have experience. And lo and behold, um, when my daughter was in high school, one of her friends at the time was very definitively anorexic. Family wasn't aware. I could see it. You know, you spot these things when you've experienced them. And I don't believe she ever went down the full-blown awful path of anorexia. She fought me quite a bit. I, I had a nice relationship with her and I, and I, called her one day and I said, listen, this is what you're thinking. And I just rattled off all of the things that, that I thought when I was, you know, in, in the process. And she went, oh my God, you really do understand. Mm-hmm. And I have chills even telling you right now. Yeah, I have chills. <laughs> at that moment, I knew that, that my um, divulging of personal information, if you will, was a hit, you know, it, it made yeah. a difference to, to one person. So that's my goal. You know, if mm-hmm. one person benefits, I'm, I'm a happy camper. I'm I've, I've done my job. <laughs> I, I'm the same way. I always say if I help just one person, cause I'm very transparent about my struggles and what I've been through, um, despite the stigma that comes with more severe mental illness, uh, which is something I'm studying in college. I'm in my master's degree for psychology. It's really my right. interest is the stigma around all these things, like addiction, around severe mental illness, around all these things. Um, and so I feel the same way. And I know of at least two people who have gotten a bipolar di- diagnosis because I shared my my story and they saw themselves in that story and they got the of the appropriate diagnosis because you know, if you don't have the appropriate diagnosis, it's difficult to treat it. Um, just having major depression, major depressive disorder is different than having bipolar disorder. They need to be treated differently. Um, so I know of at least two people that have, um, I know of people who've gotten out of domestic violence situations because I've shared about mine. Uh, so all these different things, I think stories, the whole point of the podcast is I think stories are very powerful um, and they can help people. But even those people who aren't going through that, um, it may help shift their perspective a little bit 
like maybe we can reduce the stigma. Maybe we can open people's minds just to crack because once you've cracked it open a little bit, they'll start seeing like all these, like this information. And they're like, oh, I was, I was on the wrong path with whatever this is. Yeah. And, and I'm so glad you said that because that's exactly what I was thinking as you were talking and not just for, not just the stigma for the people who have the issue, whatever the Mm -hmm. issue is. Right. Um, but for the rest of us, you know, the more that we hear and learn, and, and that's really, I think that was one of the most invaluable things that, that came out of my nightmare is that I got information, a lot mm-hmm. of information. And some of it, you don't, some of it I didn't want. Yeah. <laughs> really didn't. Um, some of it, some of it was really great. But overarching, having information, um, it, it, it decelerated the level of stigma for, mm-hmm. for me looking at it even. So I think the more information that's out in the world about any given issue, the, the more we have the opportunity to, to teach and to, and to reduce the, the, the ridiculous, right? Yeah. So in social psychology, uh, there's something called exposure and a lot of research shows the more you're exposed to people of certain groups, the more likely that your prejudice and bias and stigma is going to be reduced. So like the more people hear stories about addiction, the, the, the more likely that their prejudice and bias and stigma around addiction will be reduced. Um, this goes for many things, race, mental illness, like think of something that's, you know, somebody being Muslim, like think of all these prejudices and stereotypes that are out there. Well, the more that somebody sees that people don't fit the stereotype, the more that that stereotype starts to fall apart. So really like what you're talking about is like by, by sharing, you know, you're seeing like, and did, have you dealt with people who were shameful to you because you're a parent? Like, I can't say that I did. Um, if I did, I'm not aware of it. It was a, it, it, it was a, obviously a hugely traumatic three year, five year moment in my life when, and, and one of the first things that I did by um, strictly by survi- survival, not, yeah. not because I thought about it, not because I set about doing it because I needed to survive. I set boundaries, mm-hmm. really strong, unequivocal boundaries. You do. If you, if you cross this line, we're done. I I'm very sorry if that doesn't suit you. This was with my parents who I adore and who were um, two of the most supportive and have continued to be two of the most supportive humans on the planet. If you continue to call me and ask me where she is, how she is, what we're doing, blah, blah, blah. I will no longer take your phone calls. And by setting those boundaries, I survived and, and was able to pull back and kind of work through. But I think I also, I hate the word protect, but it's the only one that's coming to me, protected myself from people who might 
want to shame me. There was yeah. one person though, as I'm thinking about it, there was one person who I knew and I, I love her. We're birthday twins, 10 years apart. Um, I've known her since I was 13 and her son very sadly was dying of cancer or had died. I don't really remember whether it, which, which side of that they were on at, the, at that moment. And she said to me, and I don't think it was meant to be hurtful. It may not have even been when she knew that things were going on for, for me here. She said something to the effect of my child had no choice, but children who, or, you know, um, children who become addicted to substance do it consciously. It's a choice that really stood out. And for quite a long time, it hurt deeply. Yeah. And I got to a place where, and I, I do mention, of course, I don't, I don't um, talk about the, the personal aspect, but I do mention that people did that in the book because I came to realize that that, that was her truth. She was in huge pain. Mm -hmm. And at least she was willing to step into the arena with me. Yeah. A lot of people won't even step into the arena. A lot of people run for the hills. Oh, you're dealing with this? Never mind, right? And they, they just take yeah. off. So um, I, I guess that was the only real moment that I can remember where I felt small. Yeah. And it took me a while to, to come to terms with it. And, and now, I mean, I, I, I never harbored any anger or resentment for that statement. And I certainly never got to a point where I had any ill, Ill will toward it. I, it just, it hurt. Yeah. And I feel like people make these statements out of this, like, again, back to the stereotypes they have in their head and they can't understand because they've never been through it. They don't know anybody, or at least they don't know that they know anybody who's been through it because it's not like a lot of people are transparent about it. Um, sometimes people are addicts for decades in, in, in people like at their work, in, you know, people who are friends with them, they don't know. They just think, oh, that person likes to have some fun, but don't realize like this actually is a, a problem. Um, and I think one of the really harmful stereotypes is it, it's a choice. Um, but I mean, how many of us have actually gone out and experienced and done things? I know I have, you know, I, I'm not like innocent here. Um, yes, that first instant is a choice. But be, having an addiction is not a choice. You don't choose to have an addiction. Right. And there's an, you know, there's the, the underlying symptoms. So even if you chose to medicate your symptoms, did you choose to have your symptoms? You, you yeah. can, you can really go, go back and back and back, mm -hmm. you know, and, 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 and stigmatize trauma. Right? Yeah. Be bad person. Cause you had trauma in your life. Why didn't you handle it better? Well, because I couldn't, and I and didn't I, have a choice. <laughs> and, and I think addiction is the same thing. I, 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 I strongly believe that when we know better, we do better mm -hmm. and we do the best we can in any given moment of the day. And I've had people challenge that, but the reality is if you could do better right this minute, you'd be doing better. Nobody chooses to do less well than they could. Right. We're all coping in our own way. Right. You know, right. we've, we've all been through things uh, right now. We're all going through a pandemic together. 
Like, and, and, you know, they've talked about how addictions on the, has been on a, the rise since the beginning of the pandemic, because people are trying to cope with all this going on, the loss, you know, getting sick. Some people have long COVID, like maybe they're a healthcare worker and they've seen like some very horrific things, you know, dealing with that. We don't all have the tools, you know, so we lean on whatever makes us feel better. Yeah. What's interesting about that is that um, it's actually kind of ridiculous on my part, but this book was timed to come out for Addiction Awareness Month, which I believe was October. And I hear almost nothing about addiction right now. Now, granted, I don't watch TV and I pretty much don't listen (laughs) to it. So maybe it is out there. But prior to the pandemic, I heard about it constantly. Mm -hmm. And now I don't. And yet the numbers are on the rise, which is so unfortunate because it makes it even more closeted, right? People who are dealing with either dealing with addiction or dealing with someone they love in addiction, the, the tools aren't readily available because we're not talking about it. We're talking about unemployment and we're talking about the pandemic and we're talking about getting booster shots. Um, so yeah, you're absolutely right. So tell us a little bit about your experience during those three years. How, what was it like to, to see your child going through this and you, you couldn't, you couldn't control it. I was in a big, ugly hole of hurt for probably a solid year, maybe a little longer. Um, that hole had a covering. (laughs) So it was a dark, dark hole. Mm -hmm. I think by the, by the last relapse, and what ensued, I think that some of that covering was pulled back. So I, mm-hmm. I can't tell you that at any point my whole being was back to happy go lucky. Not that I was ever there really, <laughs> but I, I, you know, that, that, that I was myself. Mm-hmm. Well, even that doesn't seem to work because who is myself? I, I don't know who is my, right. I, I know better now who myself is. So the whole, the whole experience was pretty, pretty awful. However, there was one pivotal moment and it shifted where I was significantly. It was somewhere, remember I said there was like six months that I was literally under a blanket. And then there was mm-hmm. like another two months where I didn't really want to see. Well, at the end of that two months, the epiphany was we are all on our own path. We all have our own purpose to be here. And if my child, if my child's purpose is to die by virtue of addiction, I have to let her go and I have to continue on my path. And I'm a little choked up. Yeah. You're making me get choked up over here as a mom. Like I can like, you know, very much relate to like, I shouldn't say relate as in I've been through it, but like thinking about my, put myself in your shoes with my own child, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 And with, with heroin, the, the risk is very real, especially now that they're lacing heroin with fentanyl. Yeah. They're lacing everything with fentanyl now. Right. So it was, it was a very real threat on a daily basis. 
she ended up in Florida for rehab. Um, I have to say I had angels throughout the entire process. Angels dropped into my life and I will be eternally grateful for every one of them. She went to Florida. Um, I didn't understand yet what addiction was and how it worked. And I let her come home after that. Um, we live, we live in the Northeast. I'll just say that. Me too. <laughs> we were neighbors. Can we be neighbors? Have <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, that turned out to be a mistake. It was, it, and we laugh about it now. Do you remember Hurricane Sandy? Yes. Yes. Hurricane Sandy hit Florida. She left the next day, flew up here. A day later, Hurricane Sandy hit her again. (laughs) And so she got it twice. Um, She relapsed as soon as, as I went back to work. I was home for a week because everything was down in this area. Trees Mm -hmm. had down lines and floods and houses were wiped out and nobody had power. And so we were blissfully, truly blissfully here in my home for a week. And then I went back to work. She went back to drugs, back to Florida. And I was very lucky because she said to me, mom, I know I can't come home again. And so it took that guilt off of me, not having to say you can't come home again. Um, And so she, she went back, she, she went right into rehab. She did super well for nine months and then relapsed again. And just a, you know, bits and pieces of the story, the counselor who had her called me and said, we're so proud of her. And I lost my mind. What do you mean you're proud of her? She relapsed. She's using drugs. How can you be proud of her? But she's shown by being clean for nine months that she has the desire and the ability to be clean. Mm. This is a good thing. I was piss and vinegar. I was mm. so angry. We were talking about it the other day. I was, I was so angry and I don't get real angry, real easy. That was, that was, um, that was there. And we talked, I'm trying to remember if it was like every other day. I don't think it was as often as every other day. I think it was every few days they would call from the counselor's office. We would talk, I would spit nails, hang up. They would call, you know, and, and within a, a fairly short order. And what I say in the book is I heard my daughter be spiritually and emotionally naked. I heard it. And, and if I was angry at that point, I might not have heard it. If I was not doing my own work, I might not have heard it. Mm -hmm. So I heard it and it humbled me. And I, and I knew then that we would work this through. We would, we would do this together. Um, And I, and I'm very fortunate because that was the last time she was in rehab. She went back to halfway for anybody who doesn't know what halfway is. It's an, it's an in-between rehab and out fully on your own. It has in, in a good halfway, there are rules and uh, there are dead, um, not deadlines. What is it when you have to be home at a certain way, a certain time? A curfew. Thank you. Curfew. Yeah. Words sometimes. Escape. Oh no, I know. I, I, my medication makes me brain farts <laughs> all the time. So I'm like, what is that word? I can see it in my head. Yep. 
So there were curfews, there was drug testing and not for nothing, but that gave me a whole lot of, of um, comfort because mm-hmm. I knew that if she fell off that wagon, I would know. Yeah. And then, you know, nine months later, she was good. She moved out. She had her own apartment for another, th- another two, three years down there. And then uh, we moved her back. I missed her. She yeah. To be home. My daughter only lives an hour away right now. And I'm just like, do you, do you want to move back in? <laughs> She'll be like, I'm struggling. She lost. Uh, so she got a new job, quit her old job, but she was in a training period and they decided not to move forward. So now she has no job and she's applying to all these jobs. And my spouse is like, you need to stop telling her she can move back in because you're just making her not want to move back in. I'm like, but I want to take care of her. It's so hard being a parent of an adult child. That was a really interesting, I hear you loud and clear. Um, my oldest is out in San Francisco with his spouse and it, it, it's, we zoom every week now. The pandemic gave us that, but yeah. it's so hard having them out there. Um, when my kid was in a space where her lease was coming up, she wasn't sure she wanted to renew it. She wasn't sure what she wanted to do. Should I move home? It was very hard to stay out of that decision. And I knew I had to stay out of that decision. And as a life coach, I gave her tools to use to make the decision. And I made no, uh, no bones about the fact that my doors were open to her at that point. Mm-hmm. but that I wasn't going to tell her to come back. And so, you know, I had her making lists and I had her evaluating what, you know, her job down there versus what she might get here and have her. And, and I wasn't sugarcoating anything. I said, you know, living with mom might be a struggle. I'm yeah. still your mom. I'm always going to be your mom. It, it has been pretty fantastic. I have to say we've early on, we had a couple of battles but we both really like each other's company. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, she, she's got a full-time job. She makes more money than I have in my lifetime. <laughs> um, the only downside for her is that she doesn't really have a space beyond the 10 by 10 room that, that she lives in. But right now it doesn't need that. She right. adopted a dog and a cat. So that made my, my four into six and then we lost one. So now we have three cats. Two dogs. Yeah. Uh, but, but it's, it's worked and I'm aware that at some point, you know, she's almost 30 at some point, she's going to want to leave me. Yeah. <laughs> and that's okay. That's it. I say in the book, um, during, during the time that she was in Florida, my oldest, my oldest and his husband lived in, uh, a, a town probably about 45, 50 minutes from here. And they targeted San Francisco as their go-to. They wanted to live in San Francisco and they were both given permission by their jobs to take their jobs remotely with them. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Yep. And they, they went and I sobbed. I mean, I, I it was very wow. hard for me. And what I said in the book and, you know, what was rolling through my head is this was a healthy departure. This is what parents do for their children. We give them wings and hope that they fly. Yeah. And so, so that, that juxtaposition of the two of them was really interesting at the time. And they're still out there. Like I said, we Zoom once a week, which is lovely. I miss them like crazy. 
and they're doing what they need to be doing that, you know? Yeah. So, All right. Well, as we, we could talk about this forever, um, but, but as we wrap, I say that all the time, but I'm like, I, I really truly mean it. Cause I feel like a lot of times when I'm talking, people just make it so easy that I'm just like, oh, we could keep going, but <laughs> we have a time limit. What would you like to leave the inspired women audience with? So I'm going to leave the inspired women audience with my tagline, um, both as a, as a coach and in the book. Can I say the name of the book again? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Finding Myself in a Nightmare, A Mother's Healing Journey Through Her Daughter's Addiction. It has been said to me, this isn't the, the final parting thing, but it has been said to me that even if you are not looking at addiction in your, in your immediate realm, this book is helpful. And, and that was my intention. I wrote it as a life coach and as a mother. And I, I, I offer the tools that helped me heal. So mm. if, so for anybody who's looking to do the work, it might be beneficial. My tagline is heal yourself, heal your children. Oh, I love that. Uh, I completely agree as somebody who has been through trauma and has a severe mental illness I have found that my relationship with my children has dramatically um, improved and I've become a better mom by taking that time to do the things I needed to do to heal myself. Yeah, you. (laughs) Well, Judy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Megan, what a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.